Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church Again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning. All right, we've got, uh, this is week two of the Follow Me series. Last week, we delved into all kinds of different things that make us us, right? And we did this by framing it in the idea of filters, of air filters, if you will. There are these things that we put in place that if we're trying to become the people that God wants us and has called us to be, there's a few things that we've got to uh, continually put in front of us to kind of filter out the pollutants, filter out all the junk in life so that we can become who God has called us to be. Okay. So we went really quickly over a bunch of different things and we're going to take a lot longer to systematically go through those uh, here in this season. Uh, they just, they coincide with the Lenten season. Um, maybe you practice, you've practiced Lent in your, your past. Um, we have so, so many people who grew up in the Catholic church. That's something you're very familiar with. And so if you want to frame it in that mindset a little bit, it's, these are the things that we are trying to do so that we can become more like Christ. Like the big churchy word for that is called discipleship. But these are the few things that we're trying really intentionally to do to become more like Christ. And so in this season, getting prepared for Easter, it's incredibly important that we focus our minds on that. Does that make sense? Follow me on that? Okay, good. Um, so what we're going to do today is this is going to be a little bit more lecture-based than normal. And I apologize for that, but that's just what's going to happen. We're going to talk about biblical teaching today. Now... Uh, I want, that comes with a disclaimer. That's not me saying, uh, well, this church has biblical teaching and no other church ever has ever had biblical teaching. Okay. I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm not saying, uh, I have got a monopoly on this. Oh my goodness. That baby is so small. Ah! (laughs) Beautiful. Um, we got all kinds of new babies in this church and it's awesome. Um, (laughs) sorry, I just sorry. Sorry. Totally, uh, totally dadded out right there. Um, so what we're, I don't have a monopoly on biblical teaching. Okay, that's not, when I say our church values biblical teaching, well, <laughs> our pastor, he's better than everybody else. That's not me and hubris saying that. It's the way in which we're trying to approach the scripture, okay, in which I'm trying to teach you to approach the scripture so that you can teach your children and yourself uh, the Bible. So it's the filter in which we bring to our uh, Sunday mornings. It's the filter in which we bring to our student ministry. It's the filter in which we bring to our kids ministry. What does the Bible say? What is it trying to say to me? And how do I need to change because of what the scripture is imparting into me? Okay. And this is an incredibly important order that I don't bring to the scripture and say, oh, it tells me not to steal anymore. I don't like that. I'm going to go steal. See how that's a problem? Right? I don't like, it says, hey, don't lust anymore. Just close that right up. Right? Anytime it says something difficult or hard, we're like, ah, never mind. That's not the way in the way this order goes. Biblical teaching says, okay, the scripture is imparting that into me. And so I must change my behavior because of what the scripture does. I don't get to use my pen and say, I don't really like that part. And mark it out. Thomas Jefferson uh, came up with his own Bible when he was alive. Um, he did not believe in any of the miracles of the scripture. So he cut out, he took 
scissors to the scripture. Now, if you have a high view of Thomas Jefferson, I'm sorry, this is going to lower him a little bit in your standards, but he didn't believe in the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And so he started cutting out all the miracles of the Bible and just wanted the teachings of Jesus. And he's like, okay, that is incredibly the opposite way in which we approach the scripture. Okay. We've got to, I come up with something hard in the scripture, something I have a hard time holding on to. It's not the scripture that I'm going to physically change. It's got to be something inside me that changes. I am underneath the scripture's authority. Does this make sense? Okay. Uh, so that is the way in the view in which we start to try to come to the scripture. And I'm not saying anybody, somebody else doesn't have that viewpoint. That's just who we are here. I'm not comparing I'm, That's our goal as uh, leaders here at the church, as parents here at the church, as spouses here at the church, anybody who's trying to lead themselves in a, in a discipleship way to get closer to God, we're going to place ourselves under biblical authority. The main point for that, kind of to tie it all in, is let the text do the talking. Let the text do the talking. And so we sit underneath the scripture, we let it speak into us, we let it have the authority in our life, we let the scripture, um, there's, a, there's a scripture, one of my friends uh, always likes to preach on marriage um, marriage talks. It says, bathe your, your wives with scripture that we should, it should just be so flowing out of us that we are just bathing the people around us in the beauty of the scripture, that that's what's flowing out of us, not our own agendas or our, our own stuff. And this, this is a point of contention. If we cannot let the text do the talking, we want to let Jared do the talking. We're always going to have issues because my agendas are not necessarily the scripture's agendas. If the scripture is the authority of my life and everything I'm placing myself underneath that, then guess what? My agenda starts to become the scripture agenda. If I continually place myself over the Bible, now I'm constantly trying to make my agenda the scripture agenda. And that does not work. We see that all the time. We've had, I think, we've had two huge megachurch pastors here in the Chicago area in the last nine months fall from grace. Right? That comes when you get too big for your britches and think, hey, I'm going to speak. I'm going to have authority over the scripture. That's, that's not the way that works. Sometimes I, need, I read the scripture. I'm like, I need a humility check. That's not saying I'm better than Bill Hybels because I'm not. I got my own stuff. I got my own things that I, I work through. But we always have to keep in check. Who are we? What's going on? I got to let the text do my talking. To let the text do your talking, you actually have to read the text. It's a, a caveat. I know some of you are hoping that you could like osmosis. Like, Jerry, could I get it printed on a pillowcase and just sleep on it in there? That's not the way it works. I know I disappointed you, some of you. I don't like to read. Fine. Listen to it on your phone. Okay? There is a, a whole, um, a whole bi- audio Bible done by Morgan Freeman. Uh, like he should, and there's another one that Denzel Washington does. Like if you want just some smooth butter in your ears, there you go. Just all the whole time, right? Uh, it makes Leviticus enjoyable. Okay. So just, just do it, download it, whatever you need to do, get, consume the scripture, consume it. The scripture talks about, uh, a few times that eat this book. What it's talking about is not physically ripping out the, like this. No, it's just, you're supposed to consume it. It talks about it being sweeter than honey. It's like eating a honeycomb. Chew on it. Work on it. You've got, if you're going to let the text do the talking in your life, you've got to actually come in contact with the text. That is a problem. I know. Oh, reading. 
What that reading does is bring you in contact with the creator of the universe and the savior of humanity. So I'm thinking it's worth your time. Just, just a hunch, right? So audio Bibles, you, there's all kinds of audio Bibles out there. Um, if you have version on your phone, you can actually, it'll just start, you can, if you're working out or whatever, you can play it. Um, if you're having some uh, sleep problems, you can't fall asleep at night, just go to Deuteronomy, push play. All night long, Deuteronomy will be speaking into your life, right? Um, that's it, it. Just you can do those things, but you need to find a, a, a scripture that you are comfortable with and you read. That goes on to the next thing. As we come into the context of the scripture, how do we uh, consume the text? I get qu- questions all the time. What's the best translation for my kids? What's the best Bible for my kids? What's the best Bible for me? Here's the the, the real answer. Whatever they will read, that is the best translation for your kids. Okay. If my kids came to me this morning and said, I really want to read the King James version. I like the these and the thous and the fun stuff. Cool. I could see Bowen doing that. He would, it's, a, it's like a different language, dad. Like go for it, buddy. Right. If they bring to me, uh, Bowen went and checked out the comic, uh, version it's a whole, all the comic books and some guys in Australia have been doing this for a while. They did all, all the major stories of the Bible. It's like a thousand page comic book from creation to revelation. Revelation gets a little trippy, uh, so revelation to revelation. And he's just, what are you doing tonight, buddy? And I go up to the bed. It's 10 o'clock at night. He's pouring over the scripture. It's a comic book, but it's scripture. Now, is he going to do heavy exegetical scholarship study of that? No. But when he's older, he's already got a picture book playing in his head. He's got the stories start to be imparted into his heart. So what's the right translation for your children? The one they will read. Okay, that's, that's the easy one. You don't, you don't have to be like, well, you've got to read the NIV or you didn't actually read the Bible. Stop. You can be pro K- KJV, King James Version, pro New Living Translation, pro whatever you want to be. But at the end of the day, the scripture is the scripture, and we've got to be consuming it. Let the text do the talking in our lives. Um, if you want a quick primer on how to choose your own translation, remember, I worked at Family Christian Bookstore. I am a Bible expert. I have a pen to show it. Um, I took a 20-question test that told me that I was an expert. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, here's the deal. Think of it as a pendulum swing or on a scale. You have two scales, one on top, one on bottom. The top one is how close it is to the original language. The New American Standard, ESV, is really, really, really close to the original language. NIV's in the middle. NLT's over here, kind of far away from the uh, original language. It's okay, but it's a little far away. Now you have a secondary scale. It's called the readability scale. NASBA and uh, ESV are over here. NIV's right in the middle. NLT's over here. It's easy to read, but... It's not as close to the original Greek. What, there's three different translation practices happening here. I told you it's going to be lecture-based. I'm going to nerd out really hardcore right here. Okay. Um, three different translation processes basically happening. New American Standard uh, does a word-for-word translation. Uh, so they're boom, 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 boom. NIV does more of a thought-for-thought, like a little phrases, little phrases, little phrases. And NLT does basically a sentence-by-sentence translation of the scripture. This is important to know because... When you're reading the New American Standard Version, I love to study the New American Standard Version, but 
it, because the subject and verbs don't agree the same way they do in English, it kind of sounds like Yoda is talking to you when you're reading it. So if you're a huge Star Wars fan, New American Standard is your way to go. Uh, but it's very confusing sometimes because of that. Because a 2,000-year-old dead language, no one speaks Kone Greek anymore. No one speaks it anymore. It's not the same as Greek if you go to Greece today. It is like, it's not around. So translating a 2,000-year-old dead language to modern-day English has some issues, right? That's a problem. You see this today when you deal with uh, Wycliffe translators. They go to some crazy island that's never had um, Western civilization contact before, and the Wycliffe translators, what they do is they try to p- translate into their own culture the Scripture so that everybody in the world could read the Scripture. What an amazing, amazing calling. That's really cool until you get to an island that's never seen snow. And you're like, what's the word for snow? What's the word for you don't have marriage in this culture. How do we do that? Okay. You don't practice community the way you got to start coming up with some, some different things to, to, to jump over those hurdles. Right. And so the problem with the text in those situations, the problem with the text is not with the original Greek and Hebrew. The problem is with the jump that you got to make to put it into accessible form. Does that make sense? All right. So what we've got going on here in the NLT, um, NIV, New American Standard, those are the three really most popular translations. There is a plethora on that scale that you can find everywhere. But really, it is down to what's the translation you're going to read. Now, you may be familiar with something called um, the message. The message is called a paraphrase. The me- uh, paraphrase, which was written by one guy did it, Eugene Peterson. He, we lost him this year. He's an amazing pillar of the faith. However, that was just one guy's interpretation of the scripture. So he, we call that a paraphrase. That can't be as trusted as a translation. What's the difference, you ask? That's a good question, Paul. I'm glad you asked that question. Translation is done by a huge committee of scholars that are basically arguing over every word, every apostrophe, every period that goes into a translation. So if you go, you know, it was just a bunch of, it was that one guy who wrote that one thing, I can't trust the Bible. Maybe your friends think that, maybe a parent, maybe someone you come in contact with, a, a coworker. That's not true. It's a whole group of scholars that come together that have differing points of view, differing backgrounds, different even sometimes uh, denominational backgrounds, and they're arguing over the finer points of Scripture because they hold it in such a high value of saying, we're going to make the text do the talking. It is authority over us, and so I've got to place it on high enough pedestal that we treat this so well. When we're translating it from the original Hebrew and Greek, we want to make sure that it is faithful to it. We don't want these jumps. We don't want any problems, so we're going to do our best to make English and the pain in the rear language that it is work for Hebrew and English, uh, Hebrew and, and Greek. You know, a lot of times it's not Greek's fault that there's issues. It's English because we're just a, an amalgamation of 18 different languages, and there we go. Okay, does this make sense? Rattle if you do, okay? Um, but this is a really, really, you're getting like Bible 2000 first day through a fire hose uh, so in 10 minutes or less. But that is what's going on there and why we have all these different Bible translations. Uh, if you have questions about that, if you go, hey, I want to get my kid a Bible, the, you can't do this anymore because we don't have a family Christian bookstore. Barnes & Noble usually has a bunch of Bibles. On Family Worship Day here in a couple weeks, I'm going to have my mom bring a ton of uh, Bibles that she has for children. There'll be a booth set out in the, in the lobby. If you want to come, peruse those, look at those. 
Um, that'd be a fantastic day. If I need to do that for adults, uh, I can lay mine out those out for you. That will not be for sale. Those are mine. Keep your paws off of them. Uh, so, uh, however, if you do need a scripture, if you need a Bible, there are seats, uh, Bibles in the seats underneath you. If you don't have one at home, take it home with you today. It's totally fine. You're not stealing from church is blessed. Go for it. All right. Now, if you have eight Bibles at home and they're all collecting dust, don't take my Bibles because you're just going to put dust on that one too. All right. So, uh, that's how that works for us this morning. Let the text do the talking. I brought a mirror on stage today because this is one of my favorite ways in which the Bible refers to itself as a mirror, as a mirror. James 1, 22 to 24 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Remember, this is what the Bible is talking about itself. That don't merely just listen to these words. You've got to put it into action. It wants you to look at the Bible as a mirror to see where you're at, who you are. How is this thing going and so there's a couple of questions I got to ask about a mirror before I trust what it's going to say. Is the mirror clean? You can get some funky things when you got toothpaste on your mirror, right? Is the mirror clean? And do I have enough light to see clearly from the mirror? These are questions I have to ask about any mirror before I trust on what it's going to say. Okay. I've already talked about a little bit about the cleanliness of the mirror in the translation process. Um, one of the major things of why uh, I believe that the scripture is clean with, without air is because of how many people are checks and balancing every single word in the Bible. If you open up your, any Bible that you have and you look in the front couple pages in the preface, sometimes there's a list of all the scholars um, that were had a hand in the translation process. Uh, usually there's about a five-page, uh, basically, paper uh, written on how and why different translation methods were used. If you really want to nerd out and, and look at all those things, good for you. Except that they take this extremely seriously. One of the major things that is always used against the Bible is that, um, well, if I sat in this room and while I was playing the telephone game, and I went over on this side of the room and I said, the sweater is purple. And we went all the way through. The sweater is going to be you know, turquoise with a hint of gray all by this side, right? So people use that argument against the Bible all the time. Well, there's no way it could be accurate because it passed that many people's hands. Here's the problem with that way of thinking. For 600 years of Christianity, the Bible was not read by itself. You did not have a personal quiet time with the Bible. What you did is you came together community and read it out loud. St. Augustine is credited with being maybe the first person to read the Bible in his personal quiet time. And his mentor, St. Mentor, St. Ambrose yelled at him about it. So what do you think you're doing? He's like, I'm reading Romans. You can't do that by yourself, which no one probably should read Romans by themselves. They need, need to have context with that. But you, you, uh, because the thought was, don't get myopic in your thinking. You need to bring this as part of the community so everyone can be a part of it. Think about the beauty in that, that every time we get together, we read the scripture. Someone's reading the scripture together. And as a community, we're communally hearing it. And, but the byproduct of that is there's always a checks and balance on 
are you reading the right thing? Well, that's not what, wait a minute, did I, read that back. <laughs> I didn't hear that right. And Dominic over here quotes me and says, blah, 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 blah. He's like, no, there was eight other people in the room. Dominic, you were wrong with this, this, and this. Dominic wouldn't be wrong, but uh, <laughs> how, how, uh, this is not how this works. Oh, okay. And so there's a checks and a balance. You see how that starts to, to work? And so it's not, we're not playing telephone. We're playing loudspeaker, and then everybody gets to check the loudspeaker. Okay? Does that, so maybe you've wondered about that. Hopefully that, that speaks into the, that um, personal thought a little bit more. Is the mirror clean? I believe the mirror is clean. Um, I, this is what I do. I love the scripture. The more and more in which I jump into the scripture, the more I'm amazed at the authenticity and the accuracy of the scripture. Every time we find an ancient scroll, every time we come along a, a, a cache of, uh, of artifacts, it's proven over and over and over again that the scripture is accurate. And that's just amazing to me. Amazing to me. Um, I can go on and on and on about that, but we're going to move on. The second th- question you've got to ask about the mirror is, do I have enough light to see clearly from the mirror? All right, mirrors don't work in the dark. They, they don't. Uh, you may like what you see more in the dark, but that's not helpful, right? Do I have enough light to see clearly uh, from the mirror? And how do I get the light? What does that look like? How do I see myself in this mirror? The first thing that you've got to do when you come in contact with uh, the Bible is you have to come to the Bible with humility. You have to come to the Bible with humility. This is quintessentially let the text do the talking. Who's right between the Bible and myself? The Bible. As Americans, this is hard, right? As postmodern America, this is really, really hard. I want to find my truth, my truth. My truth may not be your truth. Problem with that is the scripture's truth is the scripture's truth, and I am underneath that. That's where there's a lot of tension in this. And if my truth doesn't line up with the scripture truth, then I'm going to go home and take my truth home. No, that cannot be. I've got to subject myself to the scripture, and we don't like to subject ourselves to anyone or to anything, right? We've got to approach the scripture with humility. There will be things as we look in this mirror that you do not like about yourself. I look in the mirror and I go, ah, I still got to lose 10 pounds. I still got to do this. I still got to do that. Oh man, I totally missed this whole side of my face in shaving this morning. Maybe I should scrape off the, uh, the steam from the mirror. I didn't, I actually got it, but there's been Sundays where she had to bring a razor. Uh, so, uh, but you look in the mirror and you're like, ah, I don't like that. Oh, never mind. I'm just going to let that go. That's not the way in which this works. But we do that in our personal life all the time. We look at the scripture and we're like, yeah, but that's really hard. So, right? We've got to approach the scripture with humility that it knows what it's talking about. And maybe, and maybe we don't. Second thing we do to make sure that, that there's enough light for the mirror to do its work is we have to understand where authority resides. This goes a lot in hand in hand with humility, but we have to understand where the authority resides. Now, I understand if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, placing your faith in, in the authority in the scripture is very difficult to do. There's no reason you should do it, actually. But 
as a requisite of believing in Christ, that he redeems you from your sin and from the junk of your life, from the mess that, that maybe your life has had in it. Part of that package is now I have to believe in the scripture because the only place that we find what Jesus is doing for us is in the scripture. So we have to place ourselves under the authority of the scripture or we got some serious, serious, serious cognitive problems. We have to be able to say, you know what? The Bible is going to be the authority of my life or we're not really following Jesus. And so as we, we step into this thought process, this is painful and this is hard. And this actually means things for your parenting. It means things for the way in which you work. It means things for the way in which you conduct your marriage. It means things of the priorities of your life. When we say, I am going to be under the authority of the scripture. And you have no idea what the authority of the scripture actually means for you unless you are actively engaging in the scripture, right? You don't know what the rules are. There are so many traffic rules. I have no idea what they are. I probably break them all the time. I know the big ones. Don't read a red light. You know, don't, don't have your cell phone out when a cop can see you. Oh, you mean don't text when you're driving. Uh, so, right. It's the big ones to get me out of trouble, right? I, I, I operate out of that, but there's so many rules and laws I have no clue of. I just don't because I don't actively engage with law books. I don't. Now, I don't want to compare the scripture to just a law book. It has law in it, but that's not what it's all about. It's about engaging with you so your life can more accurately reflect Jesus Christ. That's what it constantly drives us to. So as we, we have to be willing to humble ourselves and subject ourselves to the authority of the scripture. And a big part of that is we actually have to read it. Now, you may be going, yeah, Jared, I've tried to read the scripture, and it's confusing, and I don't understand what's going on. Totally understandable. I get that. Now, that may be helped by finding a translation of the Bible that's a little easier to read for you, or it just it just helps you. Maybe a study guide, a study Bible that, that speaks uh, a little bit more of your language. It helps, has the helps in the bottom page of it. They go, Oh, that makes way more sense. I don't, I don't, maybe it's some emails to your pastor to say, Hey, what does this mean? What does this mean? Love those emails. You know why I love those emails? That's never a, a problem. Cause that means you're reading the Bible. It's a good day. It may take me a while to get back to you. Cause some of you ask really, 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 really hard questions. Um, <laughs> Some of you may be birthing sermon series and you have no idea that you're, you're doing that, right? But it's really placing yourself under the authority of the scripture to dive into it and be willing to go, I don't know what this means. That's okay. How do we figure out what it means? Um, for me, it's context is key. Context is key. Context is key. If you email me, And I would do this if your kids ask you a question about the scripture as well. When you can email me about that. Um, If your kids are asking the question, email my mom. She'll answer better. Uh, But uh, if you email me, the first thing I will do is I will read the verse above it and the verse below it. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this. Not so I get less emails, but you can do this on your own. Okay. So if you ask me, what does this mean? What's above it? What's below it? If that does not help at all, you read chapter before 
and the chapter after. We don't just put a, the one scripture by itself. It's not an orphan. It was written in a specific place, in a specific time, for a specific purpose. It has all these, these nuances in it, but it, Paul usually is the person who's writing that makes us frustrated. Is there's so much more going on. He's building a whole case. He's writing a whole letter. Maybe you should read the whole letter to understand that. And that, oh, that takes way more time. I just had a question about verse 6. Yeah. Except if you read all of those verses, verse 1 through 12, you wouldn't have that question anymore. I don't like you very much right now. Fair enough. Context is key. All right, context is key. Uh, this is huge in our society today. Because in a world of Wikipedia and Google, we can rip stuff out of context so easily. So easily. Every one of you has a verse that's probably someone's come to you. Well, the Bible's mean because it said this. All right, let's throw out the 400 billion verses on love and God's compassion on you for that one verse that might, you could take that God's being mean. Where else in your world, in your life, do you do that? You don't do it with your politicians. You don't do it with your sports figures. You don't do it with your favorite actor or actresses. You don't do it with... Your parents, you don't do it with yourself, but let's go ahead and do that to the scripture. The one thing that we should give the benefit of the doubt to do you, do you understand where the problem is resides in that? And so we've got this one part where the Bible is meanie head and I don't like it anymore. So I'm going to throw the whole thing out. Well, now we need to d- dive deep into the context. It may be that you do not agree with the Bible and the Bible is mean at that moment for a purpose for a place for that time and for your time. And you have to adjust yourself to that, not adjust the scripture to you. Okay. That's, that's how that works. That's the problem. Is Jesus really the, um, the savior of your life? If he is, then let's give him the benefit of the doubt in the scripture. That's hard. Cause I like to be right. And I think my opinions are pretty good. Anybody else? Right. Uh, but we have to subject ourselves to the authority of the scripture. Now I'm going to talk about one that's pretty important to us as a, as a church. We believe in women in ministry here at this church. We ordain women as uh, in church of God of Anderson. Uh, my mother's ordained. Um, that's just part of the distinctives. We've been doing that since the 1880s. Uh, at one point, 50, it, when right after uh, the civil war, basically in the 1880s to the, uh, um, 1915 or so 50% of our pastors were either African American or women in a world in which women weren't giving authority and uh, African Americans weren't giving authority. Uh, that is one of the distinctives of who we are. We lost that a little bit in some, some weird stuff that happened. Uh, but we, we believe strongly in that. And so you always get the question or I get the question when I talk to other, that's exciting. Um, sorry, not going to fall over in the middle of this. Um, question, how does that work? Because in second Timothy, Peter said, or Paul says, women should submit and be silent. And we've abused that scripture. And if you just read that, you go, Oh, there's the patriarchal society holding women down. Bah! That's not what it's not. What's, what 
what in the world is the context? Because we got Deborah, who's leading the nation of Israel as a judge. We've got Dorcas, which is one of the worst names in the whole Bible. Uh, so we've got Phoebe, who, who basically is in charge of bankrolling Paul's missions. We've got all these amazing women who, who lead and fund and have, to teach in the scripture, who even called, are called deaconesses. Um, like they get the authority from the from these, from Paul sometimes. So how could he write women should submit and be silent? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. And this is what we got to do when we say, okay, I got to subject myself to the authority of the scripture, God. And I got to look into the context because this doesn't jive with the other stuff that's going on in the scripture. You see that tension? If this is true, then how does this work? Cause that's, that's, that feels yucky. How do I deal with these things? And this is not the only place that this happens. But so in this particular place, place in the church in which uh, Timothy's at, that Paul is writing to, the practice of women uh, in the pagan churches of that time, the pagan worship, was the women were basically in charge of whipping up the congregation of the pagan church. This is pagan, not Christian, working up the uh, sanctuary of that religion into this um, ecstasy orgy type atmosphere. So their role was basically to dress provocatively, have all this makeup on and do these kind of things. And they start running around the sanctuary in this fervent, weird pagan ritualistic thing that just got everybody excited and some weird things were going to happen afterwards. So is it important when Paul says, Hey ladies, Because there's three things that that, um, Gentiles are supposed to do. One of them is not even a hint of sexual immorality. Stop. Sit down. Be quiet. We don't want to look like that at all. Because if you grew up and going to your religious service looked like when the women started talking, things are going to start happening, that would be a weird thing to overcome. Does that make sense? And so Paul says, I don't even want a hint of that. Sit down, be quiet. All right. That's what's going on in that context in that church. And this is a, this is a serious thing that he's got to overcome. The problem with that is we've cherry picked. I don't quit. I don't permit women to, um, to speak in church. They should submit and be silent. I got those out of order. I'm sorry. You can read in your own in second Timothy, um, checks and balances on me too. Okay. Don't take everything I say. Um, we do that. But we take that out of context, but then we don't read all these other women who are actually in authority and leading churches. There's something wrong, right? We've got to come in contact with that. We've got to deal with that. Not out of some women's lib movement of the 1960s, 1970s, but out of what the scripture actually says. And so how do I do that? I've got to be ready to form my opinion on what the scripture says. I've got to be humble enough to let it speak to me. I've got to yearn enough to know the heart of God. What are you really trying to say in this? Because that doesn't sound like you, God, so I must be missing something. English must have failed me. Not you. You don't fail me. But, okay, so how do I get more into this? How do I get deeper into this? How do I ask these questions and go deeper and deeper into it? Does this make sense? This is incredible because this is when we stop reading the scripture. We come across something like, I don't like that. I'm just going to put that away. And we give up. And I don't want to give up. I want to chase God. I want to, there's things that I'm like, God, I don't like that. I don't like that you wrote that. Still got to deal with it. There's some things in there that I really wish I appreciate if he would have taken out. Right? 
Don't exasperate your children. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. That's one of them I wish wasn't in there. <laughs> um, there's all these things in there, but we've got to work through them. We've got to deal with it. And we do that by coming to the scripture, coming to the mirror with, with humility and saying, what, what needs to work and change on me? What, what needs to, to be worked on? Am I underneath your authority or am I trying to tell you what to do? And what's the context going on here? What's really happening? The answer to those questions will really help us in our drive to figure out what the scripture is saying. But even more importantly, it'll help us capture the heart of God. The final thing about a mirror is that it shows your reflection. Right? Obviously. It's why we have mirrors in our homes. This one's a decorative mirror. Uh, I believe it's up. I don't know if my wife, uh, she can't let go of it. You're going to please someone take this off my hands because it's been bought for the auction. It's just been residing in my living room. Uh, so uh, this will be available for auction at uh, the, the auction next week. All right. But you have a decorative mirror, but the mirrors have function. I want to see, do I have toothpaste on my face this morning? I want to see, you know, I need to see myself. Is my haircut work? What was going on? That's what a mirror is for. You see your reflection. Some of you go, I don't want to read the scripture just because I don't want to see what I look like. That's excuse enough. Nope, not opening that. I know the mess I'm in. I don't need God telling me the mess that I am. Right? Maybe that's like, not going to read the scripture, Jared. Not going to happen. It's going to tell me how messy I am. I got this already. I have enough of a guilt trip on myself. I don't need to be beat up by the Holy Word. Right? Some of you are like, oh, okay. The scripture doesn't just tell you what you look like now. It tells you what God sees in you in the future. So when you look through the, the mirror of the scripture, you look at it and it says, this is what I look like today. But you also get to see how God sees you and how God will see you for eternity. That mirror will show you that you're worth fighting for, you're worth dying for, that you have a hope, that you have a future that you're not too far gone. It will show you the places that you need to work on. It will show you the places you need to correct. It will show you the stuff that that's kind of icky in your life, but it also will show you who you can be and how God sees you as a son or daughter of the King of the universe. And so as we hold up this mirror as we start to let it look at us and we see with it, we got to work with this mirror. We've got to deal with the issues. We want to rest in how it sees us and strive to be the person that even the scripture is calling us to be. I'll give you some homework. You knew that was coming, right? Some of you have taken on my challenge of reading the gospel of John every month for the year. Awesome for that. Um, Let me throw something else at, you and because gospel of John every month for the whole year. Um, you could read, if you want to kind of let the scripture see kind of on the fast track, of what that mirror looks like, read Philippians, read the gospel of John or read Romans six. If you want to see how the scripture sees you and what it wants to move in you, read that. If you really need to see how I need to change, read the sermon on the Mount found in Matthew. Just read that. Oh, man, it's going to talk about anger issues. It's going to talk about temptation issues. It's going to talk about uh, lust issues. It's going to talk about uh, all kinds of things that you may not want to deal with. It's going to talk about greed issues. But if you know that's what you need to hold yourself up to the mirror to see where you can be better, you can go there. 
the scripture cuts away all that stuff. It shows you who you really are. And as James talks about, are we going to be a people who look in the mirror and go, oh, okay, yeah, what do I look like? And just forget about it. We have the choice. Are we going to look in this mirror and then do what it says? Let me pray for you this morning. God, would you give us the courage to look into the biblical mirror? This precious gift that you've given us shows us a glimpse of how you see us. Would you take away our excuses and that we would chase after you? That we would come to your scripture with an expectation to be shown the truth of who we are and who we can be. That we would come expectantly. God, if anyone here is exhausted by the whole process of beating up themselves, that maybe the idea of looking in a mirror scared the bejeebas out of them. God, that you would speak to their heart in this moment and that they would be able to catch a glimpse of the beautiful creation that you see them as, that you see the potential, that you see the hope, that you see the future. God, for anyone here that needs to know you, that needs to understand who you are, that maybe has been thinking about what life looks like, they're going through the trials of life. They know they've had a mess in their life. They know they've, they've got sin and junk just gumming up the works. God, that you would pierce all of that stuff this morning. They would humble themselves before you. Say, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. If you're in that camp today, I just ask you to follow along in this prayer. Lord, I come to you a mess and I've done so much wrong. I'm embarrassed and I'm hurting and I'm desperate for something different. Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness and I ask you to be Lord of my life. Lord, that when I look in the mirror that I don't just see the mess that I have and the stuff that I did in the past, but I get to see the future that you have for me. Lord, will you give me a new vision of who I can be as your child, as your loved one for all eternity. Lord, we love you and we praise your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com. To continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ, you can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.